0: Welcome to Minding the Truth with Ray Sturtevant. Thanks for joining us today as we continue wrapping up our series on The End Times Prophecies. Here's
1: Ray. Hi, I'm Ray Sturtevant. We're studying The End Times, and today I'm here with my good friends John Lay and Danny Jacobs. Welcome, guys. Thank you, Ray. Great to be back. Glad to be back. We are looking at event number seven on our timeline, and that refers to Satan being kicked out of heaven. And we know from several verses that Satan is kicked out of heaven. Uh, Christ describes in Matthew 24 that the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Revelation tells us that Satan no longer has a place in heaven. Uh, According to the Matthew account, this occurs in the end of the tribulation. So I'm going to get uh, John, if you would read Matthew 24, uh, 29. Yes. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the
2: sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the
1: sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So I believe that is, if you cross-reference the timing of it, I believe that event is talking about Satan. You know, as we've studied before, uh, stars falling, falling from heaven are referenced to uh, fallen angels, demonic spirits. Another passage that uh, mentions this is in Revelation 12, and I'm going to start reading in verse 7. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, the dragon and his angels wage war. And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not lose their life even when faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. You know, I believe, as we've talked before, one of the things that confuses the timing is when people see the tribulation as God's wrath. And I believe passages like this reveal that Satan is cast out of heaven And we don't know, I mean, I put this as number seven on the time chart uh, because it seems to be probably the last three and a half years, but it talks about the wrath that Satan has. And I think a lot of these events, these disasters, the Antichrist, all of it, you know, is the wrath of Satan. I'd like to say just first of all, a comment and then kind of pose a qu- a question.
2: The first comment is, I think every time you say Satan gets kicked out of heaven, there should be like applause in the background. <laughs> or something. <I> mean, <laughs> uh. But then second of all, I guess the, the question is maybe clarify for me and maybe some of the listeners, um, you know, that, what does it mean? Satan is kicked out of heaven. I mean, didn't he like get kicked out a long ago when he repelled, rebelled against the Lord? Um, I mean, what does that literally mean?
1: Well, if you think about it, in the book of Job, Mm -hmm. Satan has access to God, Uh, you know, and he goes before God and he is allowed certain parameters of really reaping havoc in believer's life as a part of testing. Uh, We know that from Job. Uh, If you remember when Jesus was talking to Peter, he said, behold, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. So we know that Satan has access to the throne. Okay. And that he uh kind of goes back and forth. It also says in this passage that he accuses the brethren night and day. And if you think about the vision that Zechariah had of Joshua standing before God, Satan standing beside him and he's accusing Joshua and Joshua is guilty because he has on dirty garments. You know, so this picture that Satan has access to the throne and is accusing the brethren And I think as it gets close to the end, God's had enough and kicks him out. So he loses his access. Loses access. And it says he comes with great wrath because now that he's kicked out, he knows he's only got a short period of time. Uh, A great visual is uh, in Luke, you know, where Christ gives a brief prophecy about the future defeat of Satan. And I'm going to, John, if you'd read that one, that's uh, Luke 10, 18. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Pretty cool. (laughs) And that, uh, when Jesus talks about that, it was right after, if you remember, the disciples were coming back. Just, I think it was the 70 who were so excited Mm -hmm. because they had power over the demonic realm. And they were stoked. (laughs) And that's when uh, Jesus uh, makes that mention. The next event that we're going to talk about is the resurrection. And the resurrection is going to precede the rapture, but I think it's just only by moments. Wow! Um, you know, it's it's from these passages, it talks about the uh, resurrection happening, but rapture is just an immediate, you so know, right almost after. as
2: if they're almost simultaneous.
1: Yeah, and could be viewed that way, I guess. If you want to take us through First Thessalonians, sure. First uh, Thessalonians 4:15
2: and following say, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, who are alive and remain, will be caught up together with them in
1: the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. And I want to cross-reference that to a couple of other passages. One is 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-two. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed and we're going to pick this right back up
0: after the break you've been listening to Minding the Truth with Ray Sturdivant if you have questions or comments for us you can email us at ray at also we'd like to ask that you take a minute and prayerfully consider supporting this ministry and if God has prompted you to do so just go to mindingthetruth.com and click donate thanks again for listening Now back to Ray.
1: Well, welcome back. We are looking at the resurrection and a couple of passages that we're cross-referencing. Another passage that I want to look at is Daniel 12, 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, and the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Now that's a passage in Daniel just focusing on the resurrection. I love this passage in Job. We've talked about it many times, so I love reading. (laughs) It just blows me away. The oldest book in the Bible, Uh, there was no scripture at the time of Job. And you hear a lot of people saying, really referring to the Old Testament saints is really not knowing that much about Jesus or what's going on. I just love this because it blows that theory completely out of the water. Job 1925, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. My heart faints within me. I mean, that is just rich. He knows who Jesus is. He knows he's going to take his stand in the last days. And then Job says, after Job dies, he will see him in his resurrected body, and witness Jesus fighting his enemies. It just blows me away. And, you know, our our, our loved ones that are dead and gone before, they're going to resurrect as well. Absolutely.
2: And it reminds me of in, when Christ was crucified on that day. Didn't some of the dead, weren't they seen that day?
1: Yes, they were seen walking <laughs> around. That's just crazy. <laughs> Man, what do you need to believe? I don't know. Some people... <laughs> Pretty hard-headed. I'm going to read one more. Actually, I want, uh, John, if you'll read Daniel 12, 13. Sure. But as for you, go your way to the
2: end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end
1: of the age. That's a very clear picture of the resurrection. So our next uh, event is the rapture. And we're not going to go back over that. I think we have studied that pretty thoroughly. And we go to number 10, which is the judgment seat of Christ. Now, there's a lot of disagreement on the timing, but it seems to me that Christ is going to judge all believers after the resurrection and the rapture, and I believe it's during the time of God's wrath, and that amount of time is not really, we we have no idea. There's speculation on those that hold to a pre-wrath view, so I just believe that while we are celebrating having the wedding feast, uh, that's part of the judgment seat of Christ happens first. I'm probably getting ahead of myself a little bit, but this, this timing in there where we're with Christ and where our life is evaluated and we are handed rewards while that's going on, I believe wrath is being poured out on the earth with the final wrath being poured out when Christ returns and we come back with Him. So the judgment seat of Christ is the evaluation of believer's life. This is not judgment of unbelievers. This is those who have trusted in Jesus and they are coming before their king, and he is evaluating their life. It's not a remembrance of sin because sin has been dealt with. This is purely how well you functioned in your gifting and your response to him in faith. And it's pretty sobering, but it's also pretty exciting. And the comparison is, Paul called it the bema seat. And the bema seat was the judge's table table. That in an Olympic event, after you ran your race, you came before the bema seat to receive your crowns, or, or rewards for running the race well, and so that's a great picture of what this is going to be like. And we've got a few passages that talk about it. Uh, I'm going to just focus on 1 Corinthians 3:11. John, if you'll read that, and then we'll we'll talk about it in just a little bit. For no man can lay a foundation other than
2: the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer
1: loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So this is a great picture. Fire is always a picture or a symbol of God's Mm -hmm, judgment. mm -hmm. So in other words, we're going to stand before him, and the analogy of gold, silver, precious stones will be the things that survive fire and last. In other words, those will be the things that we did uh, by Jesus living through us through faith. And then there will be wood, hay, and straw, and those are going to be as pictured things of the earth. They're going to be the stuff we did in our flesh that have no eternal value. And so through God's judgment, those will be burned up. And I love what it says at the end. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. In other words, he's not going to be rewarded, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. In other words, he has trusted in Jesus. His eternal future is secure. The Bema Seat is an evaluation of how well he lived his life. And I think the security that we have in knowing that when we receive Jesus, we are eternally saved. We can't be unsaved. Right. That should give us confidence and joy to want to earn all the <laughs> rewards we can. This isn't a legalistic system of a performance-based life. Mm-hmm. It is a entering into the joy of doing the work that God has for us. You know what's interesting? Because <clears throat>
0: there's a an argument out there, and I'm sure you guys are both aware of it, that I know a lot of people don't like to say it like that because it gives some people a sense that, well, that's good enough. You know, I'm I'm saved, so what I do really doesn't matter. And and I think Paul addresses that too.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it's the concept that we can live our life to the full. That's what Jesus called abundant life. Or we can forfeit not only happiness on this earth, but forfeit rewards in heaven But we will still be in heaven, and you can't take that away. I'm Ray Sturtevant,
0: Mining the Truth. Thanks for listening to Mining the Truth with Ray Sturtevant. If you have questions or comments for us, email us right here at ray at miningthetruth.com. We welcome your comments and hope you'll join us next time for more of In Time Prophecies.